Welcome everybody, you're on Mind Your Biz, and we have Pandu here with us from Unique One and the Decentralized Bio Network. Um, we welcome her and we're going to mind her biz today. So Pandu, tell everybody what your mission is and what you're doing right now. And it's really exciting stuff that kind of is, is getting a lot of um, spotlight in the media right now. And a lot of our audience doesn't completely understand you know, how NFTs necessarily work. And it's more than just, you know, artwork and music. There's also, you know, other genres of business that, that are layered in with the NFTs. So if you can kind of uh, break it down pretty simply for us of what you're doing and how you're uh, working with NFTs within your networks and your, and your companies. Yeah, so um, I'm part of the uh, Unique One Network. And that is a network of NFT marketplaces. We currently have three NFT marketplaces with more coming up. Um, the first marketplace is the art marketplace, the digital art marketplace. And uh, the second marketplace is our photography marketplace, which is unique.photo. And the, um, the other marketplace is our uncensored marketplace, which is unique.fans. Okay, so all these marketplaces combined have gotten uh, volumes of about $10 million uh, since the beginning of the year. And uh, I'm also uh, co-founding another company called the Decentralized Bio Network, which is actually doing bioinformatics NFTs. I have a personal background in bioinformatics and microbiology. And um, I've also done blockchain for like the last uh, five to six years. So um, we're creating a way for you to actually own your genomes as an NFT. Wow. So uh, those are the two companies I'd like to discuss today. Excellent. So I guess let's start with Unique One. Now, keep in mind, not everybody knows about NFTs just yet. I mean, we're hearing more about it, but not, everyone doesn't completely understand yeah. it. So you don't have to necessarily break down NFTs, but if you can keep it uh, kind of simple... For us dumb people, it would, it would be appreciated. So tell us about how the NFTs you're working with is in the marketplace and how it differentiates from maybe other NFTs. Sure. Um, here's the thing. Um, an NFT is actually a certificate. It's a certificate for a digital asset. And uh, that kind of digital asset can be music, um, can, be, uh, can be art. Uh, can be photography and can be like your genome. It's basically linking uh, a certain class of digital assets to the ownership of that digital asset. So it's more from the certificate perspective. So uh, when uh, people ask me about NFTs, people always ask, can't I just you know take a screenshot of the NFT and just sell it? Um, but that actually misses the point because uh, the NFT itself is actually not the art is the ownership of the art or of the digital asset. So um, the way we do things at Unique One is also a bit different uh, from the other NFT marketplaces because we are really trying to focus on the artists. Uh, we try to make our platform net zero fee for artists. So um, artists don't get charged a premium. I'm not gonna say like, I'm not gonna mention other marketplaces, but a lot of the other NFT marketplaces actually charge a premium on the artists to actually mint uh, these NFTs. Now, uh, we, uh, we basically push for uh, more creativity to come into the marketplace uh, in that sense. 
Um, and the way uh, we, we built the community also reflects that. We've, uh, we have photography communities, of course. We have artists, digital artist communities. And we also have people coming from like the uh, adult marketplaces. Uh, they're coming into our uh, unique fans marketplace and um, they're uh, adult artists, of course, and they're uh, contributing NFTs to that marketplace as well. Uh, these are different communities. So we feel that they need different marketplaces. So that kind of specialization, uh, instead of just having this one marketplace for everything, um, I think uh, is, is the way to go. I think it's the correct strategy. Not a lot of other marketplaces. Uh, I think we're the only network which addresses all these marketplaces in a different way because they have different needs, you see, like digital artists and photographers and, you know, adult artists all have different needs. And from a regulatory perspective, even like if you're a digital artist, uh, you probably don't need KYC, but if you're an adult artist, you would need some level, not KYC, but like age verification, right? So uh, uh, those marketplaces have different needs and we cater to those different so you're trying to distinguish different genres of, of NFTs. And right. now, I mean, the adult market, obviously, it's, it's a huge market. Right. Uh, we're, we're actually targeting more um, the amateur OnlyFans crowd um, and um, uh, more towards um, personally generated art uh, rather than the adult marketplaces, the other adult marketplaces. And we're trying to create ways for uh, people who are fans of these artists to connect directly via NFTs to these artists. So uh, that's actually one of the things we're doing. And um, yeah, we're trying to create genres and we have upcoming genres as well. Uh, we're going to have a, a game marketplace, which uh, deals in uh, gaming assets, uh, which include like, um, of course, avatars and uh, land. Like uh, we can build like within like metaverses, um, like 3D worlds inside of games now. And of course that carries with it like ownership of lands and uh, ownership of assets within games. So a uh, unique game is an upcoming marketplace that we have. We also have unique love, which is actually um, our uh, philanthropy marketplace, uh, which actually, it's not just a marketplace. It actually is a way for us to um, from our other marketplaces, bring in some social good. So uh, you can contribute um, your NFT so that like part of it, instead of going to royalties, it will go into uh, sort of um, charities that we're uh, partnering with worldwide. We also have an upcoming unique one finance, unique one finance, which is coming soon. And um, that is NFT fractionalization. So uh, NFTs can be fractionalized so that the ownership can be shared between multiple parties. So imagine the, uh, like the $69 million people, if it gets fractionalized, it can be owned by uh, a, bunch a bunch of people, not just one wallet, for example. And- uh, Tell me something, yeah. uh, Pandu, you mentioned gaming. What's the difference between sure. someone developing a game, you know, getting a patent for the game and then getting it out on the market with game systems. What's the difference between that and selling an NFT of a game? You know, why would someone want to get an NFT? Yeah, this is a very good question. I'm going to share my own personal experience. And this is 
This is uh, one of the early metaverse games was Second Life. Didn't, didn't use blockchain, of course. It was too early for that. I was, uh, it was like 2008, 2007, uh, first time I started playing it years ago, right? And uh, I own some land like in Second Life, right? And um, I, I, Second Life was a, was, a, was a really good community. I stayed there for about seven years. Um, but even though I owned land, if I stopped paying the subscription fee, I actually lose the land, which is what happened around like 2018. I stopped playing it and uh, I, I basically lost access and um, the land isn't mine anymore. So um, what, uh, what I'm saying is that within these gaming systems that already have like asset ownership, those asset ownership still depend on uh, a certain level of platform SLAs. Like uh, if you buy stuff on EVE Online, sure, you have those things, but you still have to pay for your subscription fee or you, uh, you are on Second Life. If you're uh, not paying your subscription fee, then you actually lose uh, your land. Uh, and uh, if you lose your account because uh, of some reason, um, uh, you also lose all of your assets. So um, when you're actually um, using a blockchain game instead or a blockchain metaverse, uh, which is uh, crypto voxels is one of them. Somnium space is another. There's something called sandbox, and there's something also called uh, oh, there's a somnium space yet somnium space. And uh, so all of these uh, metaverses, when you actually own land and own assets, those assets are actually in your wallet. Like even if the game company closes down, you will still have these assets on your wallet. And theoretically, theoretically, in the future, even if the game company shuts down completely, someone can utilize these uh, uh, assets that are in your wallet uh, in their own smart contracts for their own games. Okay. So uh, the idea behind having assets like this that are like almost like physical assets that you actually own uh, is why I think the next wave of NFTs will be NFTs for gaming which is why we're also focusing on that side of the marketplace as well. Excellent. So how do we prevent someone from selling multiple NFTs to different end users? So let's say someone comes in and buys a unique NFT, but that creator of the NFT then sells the same NFT to someone else. Who's re regulating the original source, the original asset? This is a good question and it's a, a bit of a philosophical question as well. So no, first of all, there are two kinds of NFTs. Um, a lot of people uh, know the like the uh, the OG NFT sort of, uh, they're called ERC-721s in Ethereum. There's actually several standards, but like usually it's the ERC-721s. It's the um, one issue NFT. It's like one out of one. And uh, if you have a Beeple, if you have the Beeple, the $69 million Beeple, that's the one out of one NFT. Beeple's not supposed to print anymore. Beeple's not supposed to mint anymore. And uh, there's another call, in, uh, uh, there's another type of NFTs uh, that are ERC-1155, which are semi-fungible tokens. So these are like collectibles, right? Like baseball cards. Uh, you don't just have one baseball card printed, you have multiple. 
So these are also true. So you can have like a hundred baseball cards, for example, and uh, those are rare, but the rarity is like a hundred. It's not just one. How do, how do we know we're getting the 69, the $69 million people? Is there something in code yeah. that everybody can easily recognize that that's the original people or that's the fake? Right. So you would always be able to see wh who minted this NFT, who owned this NFT previously, which smart contracts are actually being used to actually manage these NFTs, what kind of transactions. Um, and uh, that's actually the same as, uh, you know, if you have Bitcoin or you, if you have Ethereum or any other crypto, you would be able to, like most other crypto, you would be able to see all the transaction history, transaction hashes, who owned it in the past, etc. Of course, there's also stuff like privacy coins, which uh, make sure you can see those. But those are like, like let's let's not talk about that just yet. The focus now is uh, basically looking at all these transaction histories and knowing that you know this this thing actually has a history, and the history should always start with the actual uh, original artist minting the piece how do we know minting as in creating. that's the original artist is there a picture of him or her how do we truly know it's an original asset okay so in the case of people it's actually not very hard because you actually have a, a history of his um previous art so uh first you track the art uh the arts history and transactions to the person who actually minted it first. And then you trace everything in the account, uh, looking at uh, everything that that account has minted and who's bought into it. Like if, like, I don't know, if, um, if it's a Beeple, it's actually easier to track because you actually have all these volume, you, you have all of this uh, uh, currency coming in and out, Ethereum uh, that is uh, very traceable. Now, but you're right, in the case of regular artists or like smaller artists, there's always the question of whether this artist is the OG artist. And uh, that is uh, currently something that is sort of uh, connected to like real world stuff. Like if the artist has posted his like OpenSea address, OpenSea username um, on his Instagram, for example, that is something you can check. Um, but like the unique one network is actually taking it a step further by uh, working together uh, with uh, something called the field protocol. Uh, field protocol actually allows you to have sort of an artist's identity. If you're, um, if you're like, let's say Leonardo da Vinci and you created like uh, the, uh, the Mona Lisa and the, uh, your address for that NFT would be like uh, Mona Lisa.Leonardo, for example, or Mona Lisa da Vinci. And uh, the, the idea behind it is uh, to uh, change just like the uh, inhuman wallet addresses, which are basically just code and uh, bringing it into sort of like a human readable format for both the NFT and the artists actually creating that NFT. So uh, that's something that we're trying to implement with the field protocol. And uh, you're right about art forgeries becoming an issue, but if you actually are using uh, the correct standards of NFTs, you are actually using IPFS. And when you're putting things inside, okay, sorry, IPFS is the interplanetary file system. And uh, the way this is done, each file is given a hash. That hash is based on the file itself. 
So if you change even one pixel of the file, you change the hash. Now, the cool thing is, is if you upload two files of like the exact same file, uh, it would actually have the same hash. So uh, there would be a hash collision and you would be able to see that, oh, this is actually the same piece of art. So um, the, uh, the, um, the way that NFTs try to limit these forgeries to ensure that everything related to the NFT's history, uh, to the arts history, is very public and very, um, I guess, auditable in that sense. So essentially, you have to do your research, you have to scrutinize the transactions, you have to be a really good reader and investigator to really be sure you're getting an authentic asset and not a forged one, right? Right. Um, here's here's the thing as well. Uh, it, the way I make it sound, I'm, I'm an IT person. So I probably, when I explain things, I probably don't make it sound simple. So my <laughs> apologies. But it, it actually, uh, it's actually a lot easier than I, I, I explained it. When you go to like these marketplaces, Unique One, OpenSea, you'd see the volumes and you'd see the transactions almost immediately, like on the bottom of the NFT. It's, it's not something that you have to like go out of your way to look, to look for. Uh, just like click, clicking on the NFT and then looking at transaction history, it's already on the same page. Look, uh, clicking the artist and then looking at, oh, oh, what's your volume? How much of these NFTs have been sold? It's like if it's only like 0.1 Ethereum, that's probably a very low volume NFT. And that's, you know, then if it's 10 Ethereum, 11 Ethereum, 100 Ethereum, then it's a well adopted NFT. And you can see like the transactions as well, like, oh, there are uh, 200 owners of this NFT. So there's adoption. There's only one owner or like three owners, like him and like his uh, brothers. So uh, the marketplaces already makes things easy for people because NFTs aren't actually new technology. It's been around for a while. I mean, the actual concept was around since 2014. The current standards are about like since 2018, I think. So it's, it's, it's been a while. Why all the commercials spotlight? Why did everyone just find out about NFTs? Is that just the Beeple $69 million artwork? Is that what just opened up the doors? Um, I think people just realized that there is a class of artists who are, uh, um, I guess, uh, um, unable or it's very difficult for them to actually monetize their art. Uh, and these are digital artists. Like, think about it. If you go to, like, if you, I have like this painting on the wall. Like literally I have a painting that, Painting is like a physical painting. It's very rare. Someone actually made that painting and uh, that's only one copy, right? So there's rarity in it and it has value because of its rarity. Now, when you're talking about digital art, that is a digital file and anyone can copy a digital file. Now, when you're talking about crypto, like everyone knows that crypto is also digital but it can't be copied easily. Like if you have a Bitcoin, you want to copy to your team, that's not possible because like it's not copyable. Now that same principle basically applies to NFTs. If I created this piece of digital art, I want to make it basically rare. The way I do it is I mint it as an NFT. And thus there is certificates that are related to that piece of art and uh, it wouldn't be easily copyable and leads to that level of rarity. And that level of rarity actually leads to the, actually the value of the NFT. 
being actual. The other thing is, I think we're all stuck at home for the last 18 months, like a lot of us are. Uh, we're, we're starting to look at these technologies that are already existing, and we're starting to uh, think of other ways to do it. And um, a lot of people have issues with platforms right now, with uh, uh, technology companies actually um, controlling our data and our ownership of data. And that is uh, becoming more serious as time goes on. And uh, within the last 18 months, that's been uh, sort of a hot button issue as well. And uh, the, the crowd that is actually um, behind the rise of NFTs are very, very aware of this. We're, we're thinking of uh, these problems and trying to find ways to solve it, which actually segues to the decentralized bio network and uh, how we're trying to ensure that your genome is owned by yourself, like uh, biomedical testing, genetic testing is... Uh, is a set of like it's a set of services that is uh, more sovereign in a way, and uh, not just you know done by the big boys. So tell me, tell me how your company got started, and how did you get so much traction when you're competing with essentially the Amazon on NFTs, which is OpenSeas and some of these really big platforms? How are you guys able to start in this kind of wild time of you know commercializing nfts usually people go straight to the the biggest platform how were you guys able to sprout out get traction when your competitor is just huge yeah so there's something you need to understand is that if you mint something on unique one uh, because you use open blockchain standards the nft that you minted also appears on OpenSea like directly and you can also transact on OpenSea. you can buy and sell that NFT on OpenSea, but the way we do things on Unique One is very artist friendly. So we really focus on the artist adoption because we try to ensure that like um, the fees for the artists are like actually not zero. Like uh, we even counteract the fact that gas is sometimes very expensive by giving rewards to people who are minting these NFTs. And uh, that actually is a game changer because we we end up with a ton of artists. We get a lot of artists who are actually in the space and in the marketplaces donating really, really high quality art. Um, and that is actually an economic mechanism, in my opinion. Like in the other marketplaces, it is actually more expensive uh, for an artist to get started. In our marketplace, first of all, we have the Ethereum marketplace and we also have two more uh, marketplaces. We have uh, what is called the multi-chain marketplace. So the Ethereum marketplace, the XDAI, XDAI marketplace, which is a stable coin, and, a B and the BSC uh, marketplace, which is the Binance smart chain marketplace. Now, um, all of these three marketplaces are equal in terms of functionality, but they're not equal in terms of fees. Because the XDAI marketplace, the fees are really, really low. The uh, BSC marketplace is all, also has low fees. And uh, like the minting costs are um, actually negligible for both of them. So the, uh, the entry point for these artists to come into the, our marketplace is actually very low. So, it, so in a nutshell, it's less expensive for an artist to get an NFT through the unique one marketplace as opposed to some of the mainstream right. marketplaces. 
Correct. So oh. um, we, uh, and that is from like the chains and like the multi-chain system and also from the rewards that we give back to the people who met. Excellent. So tell me about the decentralized bio network. Obviously, privacy right. is a big concern of everybody's and especially about our own, you know, medical histories and, you know, all that private stuff. We don't want people to know. So yeah. how are you able to privatize our genetic data and our medical data? Uh, how can you stop hospitals and doctors from transferring information with this decentralized bio network? Right. So uh, there are several key features of the decentralized bio network. First of all, we're fully decentralized. We're focused on actually using blockchain technologies to enable smaller labs like uh, DIY labs, people who are sequencing in their basement, uh, people who are actually trying to initiate like smaller startups. Uh, they can all use our marketplace, which is actually a genetic services marketplace akin to like the big boys, um, uh, Ancestry.org, 23andMe. But these are smaller labs that can come into our marketplace and just use our digital services to sell their uh, private uh, genetic testing services. No, that's, that's one. So it's a marketplace kind of thing. Uh, it's a group of labs instead of just one. Second, uh, the labs can collaborate. So uh, the way bioinformatics works is that there is a pipeline of data and uh, you can process data in different ways, of course, but you can also focus on just one piece of the processing. And uh, so these can be distributed to many labs with, our, with the system that we're creating. And, uh, and thus, if, even if you're a smaller lab, you can collaborate with like, other smaller labs to create services that are uh, more enterprise or like, like the big boys. So give me an example of a service that we can go into your decentralized bio network and find that might be more useful mm -hmm. than going to the big boys that are very mainstream. So give me an example. Okay, so um, if, if you go to the decentralized bio network, you can uh, have one lab just doing the sequencing and then uh, uh, sequencing from sample. So taking your sample and then turning it into uh, genetic data. And then there's another lab that just takes that sequence and just, uh, you know, um, test it for like your propensity for future uh, heart disease, for example, just look at those biomarkers. And uh, those, uh, that ge genomic sequence can be reused at any time. So if someone basically comes into the decentralized bio network and creates a new set of tests, um, like uh, whether you'll get diabetes in the future or, 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 or something else, or like uh, whether your uh, COVID-19 severity is higher, stuff like that. So new tests can be uh, can use uh, existing genomic material that is already in your, uh, in your blockchain that you already have, and that can be retested. So essentially you're gonna take your blood test and you're gonna send it out to these independent labs to get information yeah, um, so let me just tell you how we actually do it. We don't use blood tests. We use buckle swabs. And uh, these are basically swabbing the inside of your cheek cells. So uh, epithelial cells. Um, there are uh, SOPs on how to do it. Uh, you can get uh, your own, you can basically source your own cotton buds to actually do it. Um, and you can send the samples yourself. And when you actually send the sample, um, the name that you put on the envelope 
you don't have to basically put anything on the envelope. It's kind of like the uh, having a Swiss bank account where you get a, a code as opposed to using your name. So yes, no one yes, knows yes. That's name. what I'm trying to say. So you don't, instead of a name, you actually put like a piece of code okay. on the envelope and like the return address, you can just put our PO box. That's, that's basically it. Okay. Now uh, on the envelope, uh, it's like a Swiss bank account, right? You don't actually have to write down your name. You just write down a code. That code is actually representing your public key or basically your account uh, with the decentralized bio network. And this is an account that is um, generated by mathematics. It's not something that's kept in a database somewhere. It's actually put on the blockchain and that is connected to you and you're the only one who actually has control over that account. And uh, the envelope is sent to the lab that you choose. The lab accepts the envelope and um, writes down your code and puts it in like uh, their side of the system. And uh, they do their initial sequencing um, and uh, give you like the uh, whole genome report or uh, the whole genome sequence basically, or like the report as well. And uh, sends it back via blockchain, via uh, what is called the interplanetary file system, IPFS, which is a decentralized storage network. And uh, you would receive your results. Okay, so it's really just, it's building anonymity with your medical information. Correct. Okay, now one, one important question. Who's verifying sure. the labs to making sure they're really capable and they're competent uh, of giving me that back information? Question. You know, what if I get back yeah. some information, I'm going to die in a year? That is an <laughs> excellent question. <laughs> Very good question. This is why we're partnering with the Kilt Network. Kilt uh, is a verification system that is on the blockchain. And uh, what it does is uh, it creates uh, something called token curated attesters. So these are organizations, decentralized organizations that attest to like the, um, basically the uh, skills, skill level. And like, so these token curated attesters uh, check whether you have the capabilities and skills, basically usually based on documents. Like, do you have the certifications? Do you have the staff? Do you have, have like the uh, sequencers even um, to actually execute these services? And uh, those attesters are, uh, because they're built on the blockchain as well, uh, you can be 100% sure that the labs are, okay. are uh, actually who they say they are. And secondly, the anonymity factor is only for the users. Yeah. We don't allow the labs to be anonymous. The users can be anonymous, but the labs need to be like need to show their identity, and okay. uh, they do it in a way that is attested by this. All right, that makes sense. As long as there's somebody there saying, "All right, this lab knows what they're doing. It's not somebody in some <laughs> you know dirty basement throwing my my swab <laughs> against the wall and saying, hmm, not good." <laughs> All right. No. So um, we also have a second system and uh, that second system is like peer checking. Okay. So, and this is actually something that no one else uh, does in the, uh, in the bioinformatics space. Uh, instead of just sending to one lab, your sample can be sent to two labs, like with our application. Okay. And uh, once you get like results back, you can check like both results, whether they match or not. And we're trying to do it in a systematic way. If, like uh, the two labs actually just send back results that are totally different from one another, both get flagged for further attestation. 
that is something else we're building into the system. And when you think about it, when you go to 23andMe, when you go to Ancestry.org, all these big boys, you don't actually have a way to recheck unless you basically just send to both of them. Now, we are trying to build this into the system. We're trying to make sure that trust is actually a part of uh, uh, how it's done. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically what we're building into. Okay, well, I like the idea, Unique One, that you're categorizing NFTs as opposed to just diving in and getting lost in a bunch of different genres of NFT. So I like that idea. And I like the idea of the decentralized bio network as long as there is somebody verifying the labs are legitimate and uh, they're not going to scare me to death that I'm going to die in a year just because they want to scare me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I like the fact there's somebody there that, that validates <laughs> the information. And I like an, you know, the uh, anonymity of it uh, because I feel everyone's always into our business these days. We know too much about each other with the internet and hacking different um, databases. You know, these are two great platforms that promote decentralization and uh, just promote uniqueness and owning something. Um, it's just that the world has to get more, you know, uh, they have to really understand it more. And mm. a lot of times intellects like yourself that know so much of the back end, it's hard for you know, us in the front end to get it all. So that's why I was picking your brain and trying to uh, understand it. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going inside your brain and trying to make it uh, comprehensive. Uh -oh. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I know, like, I'm coming, I come from a tech background. I used to work for IBM for about six years before I came into the blockchain space again. I've, uh, I've been constantly doing like blockchain projects for the last four years. So that is an element that I'm trying to, you know, in terms of communication, we're trying to uh, say, first of all, to the labs, uh, don't be afraid of blockchain. It's actually, uh, this is just a marketplace where you can sell your goods. It's exactly like eBay or like Amazon, like a, a, what it's an aggregator for any genetic testing service that you want, want to offer. And even if you're a smaller lab and you don't have like digital services, you don't have all these systems in place, you can use our systems instead. And um, for the people who are actually out there and looking, um, yeah, looking at us as an, like an investment opportunity, uh, we are addressing a huge market because this is not only anonymous genetic testing services, this is also at home because you don't actually have to go anywhere to actually send in your samples, right? So, um, and in this time of COVID at home, genetic testing services is getting bigger and bigger. Plus we're addressing a market which is not being addressed by the uh, health, uh, health tech folks, which are the cryptocurrency people, who are people who are very crypto conversant, who have like a lot of Ethereum, don't know what to do with it. They've been stuck at home for like a year as well. Just send it over to me. I'll figure out. Yeah, we have our right. Well, this is that's the idea, right? Like we're we we that's actually that's 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 like sort of the seed of the idea. Uh, traders at home that are not doing anything and basically they need these medical tests just to ensure that they're healthy. And uh, because of COVID, they're not leaving the house, but they do have uh, that liquidity. Um, so. Oh, do that's that's uh, the honest of the idea. That's how we started with the decentralized bio network, 
And uh, we try to make it so that it addresses their concerns, but also the mainstream concerns as well. All right. So you're trying to allow people to engage in medical testing using their crypto because over here, doctors don't take right. crypto. Right. That's that's the thing. The okay. uh, doctors don't take crypto. Uh, most genetic testing services don't take crypto. We uh, are actually setting this up in Singapore because uh, Singapore is actually very crypto friendly in terms of actually paying for services. We're using a CLG, which is a company of limited guarantee. Um, and uh, it's still being set up, uh, which is which is why you can't just uh, currently you can't buy um, uh, from from our marketplace yet. There's only a demo up in our website, uh, but like after everything gets set up, you would be able to buy legally uh, using your crypto, uh, all these genetic testing services. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's uh, there's an element here of not just technology, but also like from a regulatory perspective, making sure that it's uh, all up and up. And uh, yeah, I think we're, we're, I think we're doing it correctly. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for everyone Who's, uh, who has crypto to try it out. And like everyone who's, you know, uh, at home and uh, worried about going out to still take care of your health by uh, doing these tests. So do you think one day I can go out to Singapore and use my crypto to, to get a new kidney? <sighs> hmm, uh, yes, <laughs> sure. Right. I mean- If I need one, I'll let you know. That's, that's where this is- uh, this, do you need a new kidney? No, I don't. But, but if yeah, I did so need one, the, I want to know. I can go somewhere and get one. Right. So uh, this actually goes back to like asset tracking. And, you know, it's weird to think of kidneys as assets, of course. And uh, there's probably a lot of bioethics that I don't understand either. But like uh, thinking of it in a way that actually uses blockchain technology to uh, trace these items, trace these biomedical items, and it might not be a kidney. It might be a, a sort of treatment. And uh, it could be like your own electronic medical records. And uh, basically turning them into digital assets that are traced, basically turning them into NFTs is the proper way to go because the handling of these types of information um, are, 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 are this, this, this is the hot button issue. And uh, the way that it's handled right now leads to too much accusations of tampering by these centralized entities, whether hospitals or doctors or like labs. One other thing that is also very important with the decentralized bio network is that we're implementing something called privacy computing, where, yeah, privacy computing, so that um, when you actually do compute on a set of data, you do it in a way that is aggregated and uh, you don't actually uh, let personal data get off the platform. So the platform, the, the anonymous platform keeps basically that's uh, your 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 set of data. Everything is still anonymized. Yet uh, labs can execute um, analytics on all of these sets of data. So privacy computing is also very important in the medical field. Not a lot of medical uh, industry big boys do it. Uh, to be frank, uh, there are of course HIPAA standards and other standards as well, but like uh, the computing standards are still, I think we have a better solution, which is actually okay. using a blockchain to trace that anonymity and you know make sure, making sure that you know uh, everything is private. Excellent. So Pandu, it was really great learning about your your two platforms, one with uh, more affordable 
you know, NFT marketplace and more categorical. And then the decentralization bio network where you can be anonymous and get information, you know, get testing without putting your business out into the, the world. So those are two uh, very interesting marketplaces and, and platforms. So tell, uh, before we leave, tell everybody where they can find, or where they can be a part of the Unique One Network, as well as the sure. uh, decentralized uh, bio network. Sure. You can go to uniqueone.network to actually go to our uh, main site, uh, which uh, gives an overview of everything we're doing, including upcoming marketplaces. If you want to go to our flagship marketplace, just go to unique.one and uh, you would have a choice of marketplaces even in there, the Ethereum marketplace, the XDAI marketplace, and the BSC marketplace. If you're a photographer, go to unique.photo or unique1.photo to go to the photography marketplace. And uh, if you're an adult artist, you can go to unique.fans. Uh, just like your only fans, just unique.fans and uh, uh, sign up there. Um, in terms of the decentralized bio network, there's only one site currently. It's dbio, D-E-B-I-O dot network. And uh, we're currently still setting up that Singapore entity so that we can uh, start selling. But you can already sign up uh, if you're interested uh, in investments uh, in the project as well. Um, you can also sign up or basically come into our Telegram groups where can, we can have conversations and you can ask us anything you'd like about, about the topic of bioinformatics and blockchain. Excellent. Well, it was, it was really a pleasure speaking with you. At, uh, I'm sure it's almost the middle of the night over there in Indonesia. So we appreciate you making the time and staying up late for us. And no um, we wish you, been amazing, you know, success and of course health during these times you too and uh thank you for um talking to me this morning and i hope to see you again soon all right take care pandu yeah you too evan thank you thank you